past few weeks on this topic and want to begin to dive into it this week and we may be looking at this over the next couple of weeks and this this topic of the lifestyle of a believer and I want to title this this uh, pass or this subject that we're going to be in inside out inside out because we have things both on the inside and on the outside both that God would will deal with us as far as the lifestyle once we are believers once we if you would call yourself a believer we have things both inwardly and outwardly that the Lord will change and and move on us to change and so here today, I just want to focus in on this, this topic of the temple of God. So if you're, uh, you have Matthew chapter 23, I'm going to actually read this in the New Living Translation here today, but you can follow along, verses 27 and 28. The Lord is, is speaking here to a group of Pharisees, and he looks at them and he says, What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, Hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs. You're like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Verse 28, he says, Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And I just want to point to that scripture and you know when we we see that it sometimes um I've, I've i've seen that scripture this passage referenced meaning that the only thing that god looks at is the thing in the heart and that's true that god does look on the heart and and that's why we want to look on the inside this is inside out the lord does look on the inside in the inward parts of us and he would, you would look at that to say, are you truly living the life, living a changed life? Are you truly living a life that uh, has been redeemed by me? But he does say, notice, he does say in this, this passage, he says, outwardly, you look like righteous people. He doesn't, he doesn't tear them down for the way that they look outwardly. There is a certain look outwardly of a righteous person that outwardly he says you look like righteous people the the only problem was on the inside there was something that he would he classify it as dead man's bones that you have impurity inside of you it's like on the outside you're worried about making sure that everything looks good and that you look like one who would be righteous, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy, your hearts are filled with lawlessness. And so we want to look at the temple of God today, which in, encompasses both the inside and the outside, the lifestyle of a believer. And so I, we're going to dig in. We have a lot of scriptures to cover here this morning, so we're just going to dig right in and go to the book of Second Chronicles chapter 6 beginning in verse number 40. Second Chronicles Chronicle 6, verse 40. This here is, is a passage that is the dedication of Solomon's temple, the very first temple that was built to honor God. We had had the tabernacle previous to this. This is a kind of a replication of sorts 
of the tabernacle, which God had given instructions for. Now we have a permanent building that would be there in, in Jerusalem. And Solomon, the son of David, is building this temple and now is dedicating this temple to the Lord. It says, now my God, let, I beseech thee, thine eyes be open, let thine ears be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Now therefore arise, O Lord God, into thy resting place, thou, in the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let thy saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, turn not away the, fa- the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David, thy servant. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, look what happens. It says that the fire came down from heaven. The fire consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. What, a, what an awesome day that must have been. As, as they're dedicating this temple to the Lord. And all of a sudden they make an end to the praying of the dedication. And the l- glory of the Lord comes in and fills the house. And I want you to see exactly what it was. Uh, how, how tangible that presence of the Lord was. We continue in verse 2. It says that the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord. Because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. The glory of the Lord was was so strong, so uh, so mightily in that place that it says that the priests could not enter into the place. There was there was something that was happening. I don't know if you've ever been part of a service like that. I'm sure that most in here have. Where where it's like. Uh, you know, the, the presence of the Lord is so thick. It's so tangible. It's just, just there. And, and it's, it, in this case, it says the priests, they couldn't even enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down, the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement. And they worshiped and praised the Lord saying, he is good. His mercy endureth forever. We have this example for us of this, this building, this temple that had been constructed for a house for God. And even, I mean, what a, what a privilege it is that God would even want to abide here with us. I mean, he was the one that first instructed for Moses back in the, in the wilderness. He was the one who instructed Make me a house, make me a place where I can come down and I can dwell with my creation, where I can dwell with you. What a privilege that is to know that God would want to come and dwell with us. And here, God's presence would come and dwell with us. But you see, this building that was built, this temple, though it was a beautiful building, it was worth millions and possibly Billions. I, I, I've heard estimates, uh, you know, close to billions, uh, a billion dollars of of the amount of money that went into the the workings of this temple, and and it was a just a, a marvelous uh, structure that had been built. But this this building, even with all of that, it just would have been another collection of stone and precious metals, except that God was the one that designed it. God was the one that commissioned it. God is the one that came and filled it with his presence. That's really what made that temple stand out. 
The fact that the Lord came in and he, when it was dedicated to, to his purpose, to the worship of him, the Lord came and he filled this temple. I want to just, just, just back up just, just a minute and, um, and look at us as the creation of God. When we were created, when we were formed of the dust of this earth, how is it that we were created? We are, we are a, 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 a being that has really three parts to, to every, every one of us. We have body, we have soul, and we have spirit. Every one of us has body, soul, and spirit. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, we see this. This is one of the passages where we see the three of these. It says, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray, God, your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I said body, soul, and spirit. It was um, Brother Hoffman at, at family camp. Uh, last week that he mentioned, he said, he said, the scripture never talks of the body, soul, and spirit. It speaks of the spirit, soul, and body. It never puts the body first because really the body is nothing without the spirit. The body really is nothing without the soul. The scripture, anytime that you see these listed and it's always putting the body at, at the end because the spirit and the soul of man is really what makes us living. Genesis 2, 7, if we see this, we even see that precedence uh, started from the very beginning. Because it says, with, uh, it says, the Lord God, he formed man of the dust of the ground. So we have the body there. But then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. It was not until the, the Lord breathed the breath of life into man that the body ever became alive. It wasn't until his spirit moved on us and it, his spirit, it was God breathing into us, breathing within us, the spirit of God coming upon us that, that gives our body the actual life. You understand that your soul truly is not quickened. It's not alive until the spirit of God has come upon you. This is, uh, the, the teaching of brother brother Hoffman Harold Hoffman he pastors up in Sterling Heights Michigan he was he was with us at at camp and he was teaching on the subject of the body soul and spirit and he he was he, he just mentioned that you know for us we truly don't understand death the way that we should understand death because death is not just when when your you breathe your last breath that is an eternal death that is a final death, but, but that is not really what Scripture speaks of what death is. Death is living without the Spirit of God. That's what Scripture, that's how Scripture speaks of death. Death is to be, to be alive still, but to not have God's Spirit living in you. If your spirit, if your soul, if your soul has not been quickened by the Spirit of God, then you are dead. That's why it says in Ephesians 2, 1, this is just one of the places where it mentions this, but this is why it says that you have, you hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
When you are living under the bondage of sin, when you are living in, in your trespasses and your sins, you are dead. Your body is, is, is still physically alive, but spiritually you are dead. And there is a death that you can be living and, and walking and moving, but you are, you are, according to God, according to scripture, you are dead because His Spirit is not in you. You have a, a physical body. We all have a physical body, but unless you have all three, unless you have your, your soul being quickened by the Spirit of God, then you are still dead. So we, as this, this temple of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it, it speaks to us, it t- tells us about uh, our body being a temple of God. It says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Your body is the temple of God. Don't, don't you know that your body, this, this thing that you can touch, that you can feel, or if you, if you reach beside, if you have somebody sitting next to you, if you can, you can poke them right now or, uh, you know, touch them somehow, their, their body, that body right there is the temple. It's the house in which God's spirit would come and dwell. Your body, if you woke up this morning, your body, it was created to be the very temple where God's spirit could come and it could dwell in you, which you have of God and you are not your own for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What does that mean to glorify God? Why why does it say, if you are the temple of God, therefore, what should we do? If your body is the temple of God, if your body was created to be the habitation for God, he says, because of that, therefore, glorify God in your body. Make this a a place where God would be welcome. Invite him in. Glorify him. Come on, make this a place where, where once he is there, others can see him and we give God glory through, through allowing him to come into this temple which he has built. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, God's spirit, I believe that, that every one of us, and, and not just everyone that's in this place, but every living being, everyone is destined uh, for God's spirit to come in and to fill their temple. And when it does, it will transform your, your, uh, transform you from death to life. No longer are you walking around dead, but now you have been made alive. No longer are you a dead person just walking, but now God has changed you. He has transformed you from death to life. And so now we have a temple, the temple of God being filled with his presence, just like it was there in that, that physical temple that Solomon had built when God's presence came in. There was a visible, tangible change that took place when God's presence came and filled that temple. And the same is true for us, that when the presence of God, when the Spirit of God would come in and it would inhabit the temple, and it would, when it would inhabit our, our, our body, the temple which God has created to be His habitation, there are visible changes that will be present when that takes place. Right? 
People who are alive behave differently than people who are dead. People, people who are alive, they, they look different than people who are dead. There is a, a very uh, stark difference between somebody who is alive and somebody who's dead. You can, you can see the difference. A, a dead person is not walking around. A dead person, they, they look very different than somebody who is alive. And, and when God would quicken you, when He would come in and fill your spirit, or, uh, when He would fill you with His spirit, there ought to be a visible, tangible change that would be present in you once He has made you alive. So we're talking about the temple of God. I want to just go through, uh, go through this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 13 through 16. And we're going to be looking, uh, looking at this in regards of, of holiness. Because God, after he came in and filled us, filled us as the temple of God, uh, there is a, uh, a special call that God has placed upon us, which is to live a life of holiness. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. I'm going to turn there. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't, I love this, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires because you didn't know any better then. Now you know better. So don't, now that you have been quickened by your spirit, now that God has come in and made you alive, you are no longer walking dead, but now you are alive in him. No, now don't slip back into that old way of living to satisfy your desires because that's when you didn't know any better. Now you do. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. He's, he's Peter, he's quoting a scripture from the book of Leviticus here. Be ye holy for I am holy. This is God's, um, this is, this is God's uh, command to his priests. This is God's command to his people to be holy. Why? Because I'm holy. Be ye holy for I am holy. If we were to back up just a little bit in that, that same chapter of 1 Peter, we see uh, Peter, he, he begins this, this whole discussion here of holiness uh, really by talking about salvation and the fact that salvation is a living hope. We have the living hope of salvation. And that, that living hope of salvation is demonstrated by us when, when we follow God's example and His instruction to be holy. When we, after being saved... After your spirit has been quickened, your body, your, your soul has been quickened by God's spirit. At that point, God has, has set you apart to him. If, if you have, if anybody in here has, has experienced the new birth, if you have, if you have been, uh, if you have repented of your sins, if you have been baptized in the name of Jesus, if you've been filled with the Spirit, then at that moment, once you, once you have done that, God has set you apart already. He has already set you apart. He has already made you holy because you are His, because you are His purchased possession at that point. 
Because he has, he, he, he died for your sins and you are baptized into Christ. You are baptized into Christ. And in that moment, he sets you apart to be his. And so now that he's set you apart as holy, now what does that mean? We, we walk in the example of holiness. We're going to talk about what this means, what it, what it looks like to honor God with our lives and, and to, to live in this life of holiness. There are, just from this, these scriptures here, from this passage, 1 Peter 1, we see four parameters for holiness, some of these, these different elements of holiness and some of these things that, that Peter points out to us. The first thing, if we want to pursue holiness, there's some things that he says you, you would, or they would serve you well if you did them. The first is that you would prepare your mind for the effort that will be required to keep it focused on the things of God. Realize that, that keeping your mind on the things of God, it is going to take a, a conscious choice and a conscious act on your part to do that. It's, it's going to require some effort on your part and, to, and you ought to prepare your mind for the fact. He says, um, be sober. There's, uh, scripture says, be sober, be, be vigilant, be, be, be aware that there's going to be some things that are coming against you that would try to get your mind off track. So prepare your mind for the effort that's going to be required to keep it focused on the things of God. Second thing is that we ought to exercise self-control. Just because God has set you apart, just because you've been filled with the Spirit does not mean that He has taken your will from you. You still have your will to go and do whatever you want. God, God's spirit does not override your will. So we need to exercise self-control. That, this is part of, of living a holy life. These are, this is, these are the parameters for holiness is, is that God is, is setting you apart, but now He's saying, alright, now it's, it's up to you to, to continue this life, to continue in this, in this path that I'm taking you on, in this journey, and we're gonna see where that leads as long as we follow this path of holiness. We ought to exercise self-control. Number three, let all of your hope be in the grace of God. Don't let it be in your, uh, don't, don't let your hope be in, you know, how good you are, how, um, you know, how, uh, how good your, your self-control is. That really, you know, we do need to exercise self-control. Uh, we do need to do that. But, but the truth is, our hope uh, ought to rest in the grace of God. The fact that God did save us from our sins and that he's going to help us to continue to live for him. And when we fall, I'm thankful that God has grace. When I stumble, I'm thankful for the grace of God. Are you thankful that God has grace for you? That when you, if you've fallen and you feel so low at that moment, I'm thankful that God would look down on us and he says, come on, keep keep trying, keep living for me. Don't get back, you know, get back up. Don't stay there where you are. I have grace for you in this moment. I'm thankful for that. The last thing, to be obedient to the things of God that you are learning now instead of living sinfully as when you are ignorant of God's plans and desires for you. As God is revealing things to you, be obedient to these things that, that you're learning. As, as, you're, as you read scripture, 
And you see things that, uh, that the Lord is pointing out to you as you read Scripture, and it reflects back into your life, and you say, well, uh, that, that kind of hurts me right now because I'm not living that way. Or as you're in, spending time in prayer and the Lord begins to examine your heart and you see, and you see things in your, in your life that the Lord would want to change, be obedient to those things. Be obedient to that. Don't live sinfully as when you're ignorant. Don't remain ignorant as the Lord reveals things to you. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. says, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Is there, did, did they take these false idols and these, these uh, images of these false gods? Did they, did they set them up and put them in the temple of God? No, they didn't do that. There, were, there was absolutely no agreement with, with going to the temple of God and feeling. What, and, and really what he's talking about is, is not just did they do that, but, but is there anything in common with these, these stone and wooden figures that have no life in them? Is there anything in common with these false idols and a true living God that when you come in, that you cannot even walk into his presence because he is so, he's just there in such a tangible way? Is there anything, is there any kind of agreement? Is there any, uh, is there any likeness between God and the false gods of this world? There's no, nothing. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. You are the temple of the living God. He's saying, you are not dead like those false idols. You are not, you are not to be stoic like these, these stones that, that, that stand there as these structures. You, you are not like those temples that are empty, but you are filled with the Spirit of God. You are not just some empty house where they, they would set up these, these idols to these false gods, but no, you are the temple of the living God. And if you have the living God in you, he says, I will dwell in you. I will walk in you. I will be your God and you shall be my people. It's a relationship that takes place. And when God fills you with the spirit, it's a relationship that he is living and he is moving and, and talking and speaking to you. And same ought to be reciprocated from us. We ought to live and move and, and speak to God. Wherefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We're talking about he, he said, he said, if, if you have this spirit of God, if you are, are living and have this living spirit of God dwelling in you as the temple of the Holy Ghost, if you have that, then you ought to separate yourself from the world. And the truth is, really, you have already been separated from, you've been set apart when God filled you with the spirit. But now let's remain separate. 
Let's remain separated. Let's remain changed. Let's, let's continue to live in this path. And he says, how do we do that? Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. That's on the outside. Let me cleanse myself from all the filthiness of the flesh, these things that are on the out, outward part of me, and the spirit, the filthiness of the spirit. The filthiness of the things that are on the inward part of me. Let us cleanse ourselves on the inside and out. The inside out. All areas of us, let us, let us cleanse ourselves from them so that we can remain separate, set apart unto God for his purpose. Now, if we look at this word holiness, the word, the very word holiness or holy means to be set apart. That's what that word means, to be Set apart. Now, you're not just set apart just uh, just to be different, but you're set apart for God's purpose. That's why we're set apart. But this uh, separation, when you are separated, uh, this separation disconnects you from the negative influences from your past influence, uh, uh, from the past influences that may be sinful or at odds with the things of God. That separation, it disconnects you from that old way of life. I, I know I keep mentioning uh, Pastor Hoffman. He, he just, in, in his teaching, just, um, just brought out several things to me that I had not um, fully considered. And one of the things that he, he mentioned was in, in regards to holiness. He says... A lot of what holiness is for and the fact that there are outward changes that must be made. It's not for the fact of, um, of just looking different and being different, but it's to keep you, it's to keep you from going back to where you were. A lot of the outward changes aren't even necessary in, in, in order to get to heaven, but it is necessary because it keeps you from going back to where you were. It's not that God says you have to do this and you have to do this and that, you know, this is all part of the entrance into heaven and and they're going to ask you all these questionnaires. But no, when God prompts you to make changes on your outside, things on the outside and your outward appearance and your outward way that you live, the reason why he does that oftentimes is because it's keeping you as a safety net from going back to the old life and the old lusts and the old ways that you used to live. And there is a separation that God is calling you to, to say, let's not go back to the way that you used to live. And I know that you may look different and feel different. And that's the exactly the point. God's saying, that's exactly the point. We don't want to be like the world. We're not called to be like the world. You have been separated from the world. You have been called to live differently from the world. And so if, if, I, if, if God is prompting you and leading you to make some changes on the outside, it's probably because he's saying the old way that you used to live, come on, let's get as far away from that as we can get. And let's get closer to God. I believe that the closer to God that you get, the closeness that you have with him produces separation from the world Every single time. A truly holiness. Holiness really is not just about separation from the world. It's, it has to be about separation from the world and dedication to God. If, the, if there is no dedication to God, 
Really, that's what ought to come first, and that's what needs to come first, is the dedication to God, because then the separation from the world is produced out of that. When you are separated unto God, and you're dedicated to Him, and you're close to Him, I just just had this song on my mind all morning, it was just to be close to Him. Well, just to be close to Him, that's my desire. If I could just be close to Him, and, and, and when we get close to Him, then, then it produces this, this separation. It produces uh, something in us where we, where we would be set apart for the things of the world. There, there will be inward and outward changes that will take place the closer and closer you get to our my, Almighty God. I have an underline here in our notes. It's that our motivation for the pursuit of holiness must be rooted in our desire to be more like Christ and not more like the church. I'm going to say that again. My motivation for the pursuit of holiness must be rooted in our desire to be more Christ-like, not more church-like. Okay? It's not... I'm not... I'm not doing these things. I'm not pursuing holiness. I'm not uh, doing this, uh, making changes on my, uh, in, my, in my life so that I can match people in the church, so that I can match somebody else. Because if it's rooted in that, it's going to fail every time. You're going to see uh, somebody else let down, and you'll say, well, I'm going to let down. But if it's rooted in being Christ-like, and the Lord, pers- and you're pursuing Him, and it's leading to changes in your life, then that's what sticks, because the Lord never changes. And as I draw close to Him, He begins to change my desires. He begins to change the third not, not, not necessarily he changes. It's, it's changing because I desire him. And the more I desire him, the more I desire to not be nothing like the, lo- the world. I want to be nothing like the world. And so it's not about being church-like. It's not, about, it's not about matching up to what everybody else around me looks like or acts like. But it, it is to be Christ-like. I want to be Christ-like. And if I want to be Christ-like, then that means that there are changes that ought to take place in my life. Amen. See, we are set apart as holy, but we are set apart for God's purpose. God has a purpose for each and every person that He saves. I believe that God has a purpose for you. He destined for you a a, a certain um, God-given purpose for your life. That we, I believe that we are all called, not, not only to be holy, we, we are called to be holy, but we are called to serve the Lord with the gifts and the, the talents that He has given to us. That every one of us has a calling on our life. And so when we are set apart and God is, is separating us um, unto His purpose, it's, it, that's, that's the whole thing. It, it's unto His purpose. In Exodus chapter 29, Exodus chapter 29, we, um, we see here this passage where it's uh, speaking of the, the holiness or the process of making the priests who would serve in the tabernacle holy. Verses 1 through 4, and we could read through this whole chapter, but we'll just read the preliminary uh, verses of this, it says that this is the ceremony that you must follow 
when you consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests? There's a process that you need to go through. There's a process that, that when you would make someone holy, when you would consecrate them for me, the King James, it says, to make them hallowed, to make them holy, to be consecrated. It says, take a young bull and two rams with no defects, then using choice wheat, flour, and no yeast, make loaves of bread, thin cakes mixed with olive oil and wafers spread with oil. Place them all in a single basket and present them at the entrance of the tabernacle along with the young bull and the two rams. Present Aaron and his sons at the entrance of the tabernacle and wash them with water. It goes on and on and on and on for, for 29 verses or something like that, 30 verses of, of this, this process that Aaron and the, the high priest, the priest who would serve in the, in the tabernacle, this process that it takes in order for them to become holy. There's a process that, that we would go through. There's a process of making someone holy before the Lord. And I believe that the process of holiness was necessary for them to, to truly fulfill God's purpose for their lives. That this process of holiness, as they, as they become holy in God's eyes through this process, that the whole point of it was so that they could serve their, their true God-given purpose in life. Their God-given purpose was for them to be priests in the tabernacle. So why, why is God setting us apart? Why, is, why are we going through a process of God uh, revealing things to us and, and, and impressing on us to be changed, to be set apart, to be holy? Why would we go through a process like that? Why? It's because God has a purpose for you. It's because God has a plan for your life and he can't truly uh, fulfill that plan and that purpose for your life until you have been set apart from the world. Until you have been made holy. What, when you say, well, what, what purpose do I have? God hasn't called me to be uh, a preacher. God hasn't called me to, um, you know, to, to do this or that. Well, I believe that Jesus, his command to go therefore and to teach this is in Matthew 28. It says, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. This is the command. This is the great commission that every one of us has been called to fulfill the great commission, to go and make disciples. All of us have been called. This is our purpose. Uh, you, you probably have an even more specific purpose. I'm, I'm certain of that, that you have a more specific purpose than that. But if, if nothing else, if nothing else, you at least have that purpose to go and make disciples. If, if, if you have no other purpose that God would have for you, you do have that purpose to go and make disciples. Go and teach all nations. Go therefore and teach. And so if you have that purpose and that plan that God has for your life, if you, if you truly want it to be fulfilled, then there is a process of, of holiness that God will bring you through in order to truly fulfill this purpose that he has for you. If we were even to go back to that, that temple of God, the, the, even the tabernacle, and you look at, you look at all of these, these different utensils that were used in the tabernacle. You have cups and and spoons and uh, and knives and you have you have these these sensors and and all types of 
of different utensils that were used. And, and you know, all of these things, it, they'd be worth millions, you know, probably, if we had them in our possession today, because they were consecrated to God, because they were, uh, you know, made of, of gold and overlaid in gold, all these different um, precious metals that they were made out of. But, but none of them were made so that they could be hung on the wall. None of them were made just to, to look at. They were all made to be used. The same is true with us. We were all made to be used on a daily basis to give glory to God. They had a purpose. We have a purpose that God has called us to. And I, I want to see this, 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 last, this last point here for, for this morning. Is that God also has a purpose in calling us to holiness. It's not just that... It's not just that we are called apart for God's purpose, but God's purpose in calling us to holiness is, um, is, is told to us, and we can see it in James 1.13, although, I guess, let's go to 1 John first. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But you know that God hates sin. God abhors sin. And that's the reason why God calls us to this life of holiness. His purpose for calling us to holiness, we see it because God hates sin enough that in James 1, 13, it tells us, it tells us James 1, 13 through 15, let no man say that when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Why does God hate sin so much? It's because sin produces death every single time. Simply put, God hates sin because he loves us. God calls us to holiness because he loves us. God calls us to pursue him and to to become more like him because he says, if you're not becoming more like me, then you're living this life of sin because there is no sin in me. There is nothing that would bring death as long as you're pursuing me. So pursue me and you will not be in a place of death. He calls us to be holy because the pursuit of holiness redirects our lives away from this devastating impact of sin. I believe that God calls us and he loves us enough to be holy. He loves us enough to call us to be holy. Amen. We're running up against the time right now, but I wonder if we could just all around this place just lift up our hands and I know that this message here this morning that this is just kind of laying some of the groundwork for truly where we want to where we want to go over these next couple of weeks but you understand that you are a temple and every one of us we are the temple of God and what a privilege it is to know that God would come and that he would have it me go on if you if you have been made alive today would you just slip a hand up to him Lord and say God I love you. I thank you, God, for quickening my soul. God, I thank you, Lord, for making me alive, not not leaving me in the dead trespasses of sin. 
God, not, not leaving me, Lord, to, to who I was, God, in the pursuit of sinfulness and the pursuit of this world. But God, you came and you brought me out of that, Lord, and you filled me with your spirit. Oh, he is the temple of God. Oh, Lord, he has called me to be different. He's called me to be set apart. He's called me. Hallelujah, Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, to pursue you. God, to be different as we pursue you. Oh, we worship you today. Amen. Just keep the hand. The atmosphere is changing.